Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here today, 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 to discuss, discuss, discuss the latest issue of Uncanny X-Men, number 146, the June 1981 issue, on sale March 17th, 1981, 81, 81. And this one's titled Murder World. Exclamation point even. Are you getting some echo on me? No. Well, I mean, other than the echo you're adding, no. <laughs> I wasn't adding any echo. <laughs> oh. Echo. <laughs> we must really be having some serious quality issues. Did you take your daughter to go see Earth to Echo yet? To see what? Earth to Echo, the movie. No. I don't know what that is. It's like a remake of E.T. meets that Super 8 movie. Oh. Bunch of kids find a alien. Is it like Mac and Me? With it. Is it like what? Mac and Me? What is that? That's another movie that came out shortly after E.T. that featured a child and an alien. Wow. No, I just, I, I don't know. I guess it could be. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it. I just, uh, I don't know. I thought you took your daughter to movies. Yeah, I took her to see Avengers. Did you take her to see the Lego movie? I did. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. So let's talk about this cover, huh? <laughs> So, yeah, on the back of this one, you've got Arcade, who's staring with a very large face at the B-Squad X-Men. Plus some guy in white. Who's this white uniform chap? Well, he kind of looks like Havoc, but his suit isn't black, so it's not Havoc. Maybe it's Iceman 2. Maybe it's Havoc's uh, Bizarro Twin. Hey, I have a question for you, Jeremy. Yes. X-Men versus Murder World? Guess who wins? I, we better read the comic book and find out. No, no. Oh. Guess who wins? Oh, uh, I'm going to go with the X-Men. Hmm. Safe bet. <laughs> a safe bet. Now, if the book was called Murder World and then the subtitle was versus X-Men, then I'd put my money on Murder World. Hmm. Well, this this is getting off to a good start. <laughs> Um, Who's this green-haired girl on the cover that has this costume I don't recognize? Oh, we'll learn all about that. Oh, okay. Although, honestly, if you had told me this was a different costume, I would have been like it is. <laughs> <laughs> true True enough. Her old costume was green. Like I her. don't remember Polaris's costume ever changing. <laughs> I remember it changed when she got taken over by uh, Eric the Red. Right. But that's not, is that what this costume is? Or no. Or is that even more different? I think this is even more different. Mm. So let's flip this thing open. Uh, Chris Claremont is the writer. Dave Cockrum and Joseph Rubenstein are the artists. Tom Borzachowski is the letter. Glennis Ween is the colorist. Luis Jones is the editor. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. In the uh, large caption at the top of this page, we learn that Dr. Doom's Mountain castle is in the adirondack mountains mm -hmm. in upstate new york mm -hmm. i had no idea mm. you didn't know that the adirondacks were in upstate new york 
or that his castle no. was in the Adirondacks. I did not know that Dr. Doom had a castle in the Adirondacks. Where do you think that castle would be? We've read, like, the Toad story with this castle, and we read last issue with this castle. I had no idea it was in the Adirondacks. (laughs) Okay. I've been around the Adirondacks. I've definitely never seen a castle there. I've I've hiked uh, at the the base of some of the Adirondacks, and I never saw a castle either. But maybe it was behind, like, a peak or something that I just didn't see. Did you ever hike Mountain Doom? Uh, that was on our map, but we didn't make it that far. Mm. That's probably the one it was on. So what's happening here in this open opening splash screen uh, is Dr. Doom is kind of looking out from his castle. Storm is standing next to him subserviently. Although we remember that last issue, Storm was like frozen chrome. So that's weird. Storm's got her eyes closed. She it's does. Very Dr. Doom is also thinking to himself that uh, the weather patterns are very um, erratic. And she's and getting worse. According to Arcade, a storm is a weather witch. Oh, what, was, what was our Dr. Doom voice? Could this be her doing? I don't remember. No, that's Arcade. <laughs> I, I No, he was uh, kind of like a, of a Swedish descent, right? Well, yeah, he was like this or something. is very strange. The accent made no sense. According to Arcade, Storm is a weather witch. Could this be her doing? Yeah, it's a pity she's no longer capable of telling me. Which is weird because he looks over to Storm and asks for a cup of wine for himself and his guest. Uh, but And Storm just says, as you command, Lord Doom. Bows and apparently takes off to go get the wine. Well, clearly she's no longer capable of telling him because she's under some sort of mind control, which will not allow her to tell him. Well, that could be. <laughs> sure, sure. But, but I mean, if that were the case, then couldn't he be like, Storm, you're under, you are under my power. Tell me if this is your storm. Well, no, because he wiped her brain. Ah. Does it say that anywhere in here, or are we just assuming that? I'm just making an assumption based on pure speculation. Okay. So, Dr. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Dr. Doom looks over to Arcade and, and wonders uh, what, uh, why the long face and that he has faced defeat before, which I'm not co- entirely clear what that line of text means. Um, well, I feel like from there's a subtext going on in the next few panels that it, it's perhaps Arcade was betting against well i guess arcade is as dr doom's prisoner is he though sort of i mean they're kind of like I also i also kind of feel like they were placing a wager on who would win the x-men or dr doom hmm. but maybe not hmm. maybe i mean there there's there's no line that dictates that for sure well he says uh surely you faced defeat before never when my own butt was on the line vic arcade Lack of proper respect towards me got you into this predicament in the first place. So, don't oppose your luck. <laughs> I think Arcade did something. Oh, right, because he he something about his castle. I'm getting all these stories. Well, yeah, he mixed loaned up. out his castle to Toad. Toad. Right. Okay. So that Toad could exact his revenge. Right. In the Adirondack Mountains. So I think you're right. I think Arcade is, I mean, it was definitely said last issue or two issues ago, whichever it was, that Arcade was Doom's prisoner. So I think it's just kind of a more of a casual prisonership. 
because they're you know they're drinking wine together, they're playing chess together. I'm a high stakes player. The higher, the better. Playing a dynamite game is a lot more fun to me than winning it. I ain't about to change. Uh, I, I just expect, expect better from the X Men. What's this chess set? Looks kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't know. Doom's not even like paying attention to it or sitting down next it, to it. Yeah, he's just B seven. <laughs> he's playing with like early eighties electronic chess. Do you think these are the chess pieces from Star Wars? <laughs> I don't know. Little guy that like throws people. I don't see him on the board anywhere. Why is Arcade's bow tie so large? It's a very large bow tie because he's. Why a, does he have a corsage and a bow tie? Because he's a, he's a southern clown. And what's the circle in the middle of his chest? I don't know. That could be. I don't know what that is. I have questions. I'm sure all of these things are rigged up with various traps and such, but we we won't find out. Anyhow, so Doctor Doom is gloating about being able to overcome these children, and our kids like that's that's big talk from you, a man without a country. How many times the Fantastic Four have beaten you? Touche. <laughs> You're an honest man, my friend, albeit an infuriating one. I find that quality refreshing. Continue to amuse me, and you shall continue to live. I'm an assassin, Doom, not just some court jester. You are whatever I choose to make you. So now we check in on where the X-Men are, uh... Arcade asks whatever happened to the X-Men and Doom turns on, uh, hits a button on his computer and apparently one of the paintings turns into like a little Vizzy screen and the first X-Men we see is Nightcrawler in a white box. It's actually an LCD screen as we learn later. You are correct, sir. It is a liquid crystal display. Um, basically, the X-Men are in Doctor Doom's own little version of Murder World. They're each... Each of them are in a uh, trap with one way out. So Nightcrawler is in a trap that's essentially a box. And the idea here is that he could just easily teleport out, but he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know if there's a big uh, thick wall on top of him to the side of him. So he would have to take a gamble to get out of it uh, and risk death. I have never met the X-Men before. Their powers are new to me. I wish to examine them, learn their strengths, their weaknesses, how they fight and think. And Colossus is, his trap is, he is on a, like the top of a mountain or rock as he calls it, but it looks like kind of a peak of a mountain. And apparently there's like swirling stuff below him that's eating away at the mountain and it's getting closer and closer to him and he's wondering if uh, all of this stuff might tear him apart. Dr. Dooms explains that each X-Men faces a test and each test has an escape route, but finding and using that route will require the ultimate combination of their abilities and their intellect Then the slightest mistake will cost them their lives. In other words, murder world. Essentially, yeah. Wolverine Doctor is Doom is recreating Murder World for Arcade, the creator of Murder World. It's ironic. Uh, Wolverine is in a room that's all warpy and messing with his senses. Anytime he moves, it like counter does something to his senses, so he just can't get a fix on where he is, can't get his bearings straight. And he also tells us that 
Dr. Doom apparently gave Wolverine a replacement costume because, as you'll remember, last issue he was, uh, I think, pretty much naked. Considerate of him. He probably don't want naked savages running around his princess chateau. So Dr. Doom just has extra costumes for any hero that happens to come along his castle. He's got an army of uh, tailors at his service. So he hits the wall, but before he's able to do anything about that, he ricochets off the wall in every which way. And again, he just can't get his bearings. So that's every what he's got to he deal with. The wall, he moves faster and faster. It's almost like a pinball machine. Kind of like a pinball machine in Arcade's Murder World. <laughs> every time he moves, he triggers a psychedelic light show that darn near blows his head apart. Oh, the agony. Angel wakes up on a bird perch in a large bird cage, which is kind of funny. Gee, when he leaves, a bunch of lasers randomly start shooting at him. Yeah, he notes that there's no bars. Uh, he figures it's probably a trap, but he flies towards him anyways. His arm gets nicked by a laser. His wing gets licked, uh, nicked by a laser, uh, but he's, I guess, able to maintain control. He goes straight back to the perch, and as long as he's at the perch, the lasers don't fire at him. He's he's safe on the perch, and the uh, the intensity weapons are set to hurt but not kill. So he's thinking maybe he should risk it, but they might also sever his spinal cord. It's the cumulative effect that's deadly. So he's he's thinking about risking everything by flying. The laser gauntlet. The thing about the laser gauntlet is you can see where all the lasers are. I mean, I guess it would be hard, but... Yeah, but they're on, like, little pivot points, as you can see. One of them is, like, zipping from one position to the next position. So I would bet that even though you can see those lasers, I bet you they, they randomly move on their little piston thing or whatever you call it. Do you think when, do you think when they shoot, they go zip? Oh, of course. They would have written it in here, but they, it just would have been too many zits. <laughs> so they left it to our imagination. Zit, 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 zit. Uh, uh, so Dr. Doom reiterates his desire to have the X-Men prove their metal, as he calls it. And in walks Storm, saying, You're wine, Lord Doom. Storm, I don't believe it. I thought you she'd of them all own a Cyclops and maybe Wolverine. The little psycho. Remember, his voice is his voice is higher. You're kind of doing like a gambit there. I'm just rolling with the punches. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm kind of doing uh, what's his name from that show. You saw that show. Everybody's seen it. Yeah. True Detective. Nope. I'm trying to do a Matthew McConaughey from that True Detective. I don't know why. I just feel like it. Okay. Equaled her indomitable will, yet you've made her the perfect servant. How do you do it? There is very little I cannot do, Arcade. But you spoke truer than you knew when you said I made her. And that's when Storm takes off her face and reveals herself to be a Doombot. Dr. Doom works fast. He sews costumes. He creates Doombots. He creates traps that allow that are like specific to the x-men's powers it's impressive so he pulls beside or he pulls aside a blue curtain revealing a petrified chrome storm who is actually dressed in different clothing now isn't she 
Uh, no, this was what she was wearing before. Because remember, she was having dinner with Doctor Doom. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and she is initially frozen in chrome. She's wearing her storm costume. Okay, you're right. So I'm he must have unchromified her, put this skimpy little outfit on her, and then rechromified her. This dude's got time. Yeah. Um, we get a little uh, description that this is essentially like Colossus's organic steel, except that uh, Colossus is able to move uh, his organic steel, but she is unable to. Uh, so her life processes, wait, yeah, her life processes have been slowed to almost nothing. So she cannot move. She will remain beautiful forever. Mm-hmm. We get a little glimpse into Storm's mind, a reiteration that she is incredibly claustrophobic, and this is possibly the worst thing that could ever happen to a claustrophobic uh, human being. And as she is primarily creating a an amazing storm that is centered in the Adirondack Mountains but is expanding uh, around the world, apparently, to where Scott Summers and uh, Lee Forrester are hanging out where their ship crashed. Was that the last issue or the issue before? I don't even remember. I think it was last issue. They get blasted by some lightning and they get separated. Yow! And uh, Scott opens his eyes and shoots his blindfold off and shoots all across the water and shoots Lee's face off. With his deadly eyes. And she's dead. It's a quick little story for Lee. I'm sure. Good Lord, she says. I'm sure Chris Claremont had his reasons for doing that death that way. No, she does. She does not die. But she's lucky because if, had she been in the way, she's most certainly would have died. Where is it? Oh Lord! Suppose the wind's blown it away. Lee reaches in, grabs the blindfold, and tells him to relax, and then she'll put the blindfold on him. And he says, I guess I owe you an explanation. You can wait till the storm's over. Do you think since, like, Scott's, like, blasts or force that they would actually kill somebody? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you take enough force to anything and you can do severe damage to it. So, yeah, absolutely. He could probably blow somebody's head off or, I mean, you get a large enough hit to the head and you could die. I suppose. Yeah. But now every now and then they can't kind of like drift back and forth. I mean, they clearly said early on that it's not like lasers. They're not heat based. They're force based. But every now and then it seems like he's cutting something, which could only be done with like a heat based beam. But Well, no, I mean, he's, you know, yeah, yes, you're right. But when it's like cake... That could be force. That's true. Well, because he narrows his beam to a very narrow force beam, and then you almost have a knife at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure there are instances where they also use it like heat. (laughs) Not often, but I think that they have. So, meanwhile, after all of that, uh, we turn back the clock by a half a dozen hours. Can't just say six. We have to say half a dozen hours (laughs) to show... The B-Squad X-Men flying around in a hovercraft. And it's strange that the Professor did not decide to join them. In fact, why didn't the Professor join either team? Remember back in the days when the Professor used to save the day all the time? He he would have been really useful against Doctor Doom. You know, I bet you Doctor Doom has got something in his helmet that prevents mental things. 
So that's why the professor didn't go. He He's like, like uh, guys, uh, the, the Dr. Doom's clearly got something that prevents mental things. I better stay behind. <laughs> Look, I've read the files on Dr. Doom, and I'm not really going to be able to assist you with this mission. Okay. <laughs> so what happens is they fly to the old abandoned amusement park in which we last saw in X-Men 123 and 124 when they walked away and they're like, there's nothing we can do here, guys. We're not going to call the authorities and have them investigate this place. We'll just have to go home. It's apparently a North Beach landfill. And uh, Polaris is able to use her magnetic and electrical energy powers to locate the source of Murder World underneath the carnival. And uh, that's when Iceman says, What's the matter, Polaris? You got something against the cold? Me? I love it. Oh, because uh, Banshee talks about how she changed her costume. Last I saw you, uh, you've changed uh, outfits since the last I saw you, haven't you, uh, you Lorna darling? I have indeed, Banshee. The old one was pretty, but this one's insulated. I have also noticed that you've changed your costume, but you, I'm not going to say anything about it. You look like you're a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. When did that happen? Uh, two days ago, lass. <laughs> um, this is, uh, let's see. So they're going to go into Murder World and see if they can find the hostages. Right. Because uh, they are worried that if the X-Men can be blackmailed, then they'll, they'll be setting a precedent. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do that. So, well, the A squad goes in to save Arcade. The B squad is going in to rescue the prisoners. So this is where Havoc turns into White Havoc and starts blasting the ground to get into Murder World. Oh, so this is a Dave Cockrum thing, basically. <laughs> Whenever he uses his powers, he turns white, bright white. And what actually happens here is he takes a page from the Scott Summers book of tunnel making and basically makes himself a tunnel downward using his powers into the shell of Murder World. We haven't seen this ability for quite a while. Yeah. And as soon as they get in, Lorna Dane uses her powers to overlord and short-circuit every electrical system in the complex. And that's the X-Men. The, the B-Squad moves in, but a hologram appears, and uh, it's a hologram of Miss Locke. And Polaris is a little upset because she destroyed every circuit in the complex should be dead. But uh, I'm afraid not, my dear. And they all get sucked into different tubes. Iceman's a little bit worried. He's like, it's been ages since I last used my superpowers in a fight, and this time I'll be on my own. Nice. Havoc thinks to himself that he's glad Scott's not there to see this. Some leader I'm turning out to be. And Polaris is worried that her powers have failed or maybe she was overconfident. But we learn in the Murder World control room that uh, it was a near thing that the backup systems are fully operational. The shields barely held against Polaris' strike. They won't survive another like it. That's what Mr. Uh, Mr. Chambers, is that what his name is? Mr. Chambers, yeah. that's what he says. Miss Locke is like, don't even worry about it. They'll be fine. Stevie wonders why. Says, why? Because she'll be dead? Referring to Polaris. Precisely, Miss Hunter. Would you care to join her? Your lives are forfeit the instant the X-Men attacked. She points a double-barreled pistol. Yeah, that's a, that pistol is not messing around. 
And here's, I mean, how did, okay, so they, the X-Men are now sent through the murder world. We've seen this before. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of rooms where that happen to react kind of to the powers of the people that are in the room. But how did they know the B-Squad was coming? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have any idea. I mean, I guess Havoc's room isn't really specific to Havoc. Not really. Anybody. Iceman but is is specific Iceman to him. Is in a room filled with ice. Lorna Danes isn't really specific to her. And Banshees is kind of. So basically Havoc goes into what's called Battle Star Wars 1999. XL5 roller coaster ride that launches him into a virtual space battle. Where some of the TIE fighters that are attacking him are holograms, but some of them are real. And he doesn't know which is which, so he has to attack them all. So he does, but then... It worse. It does. A giant insect-like spaceship that's like 100 times larger than all the other ones comes out. And he thinks to himself... I think things just got worse. It's like space invaders. It's a big space invader. That's exactly what it is. Iceman gets shipped out into a big ice rink in which a bunch of android, uh, murderous android hockey players come out onto the ice. Hockey bots, if you will. What does that? What does the sign say? Android hockey, maybe. Probably, maybe and all you can see is android and then H. Is it? Yeah, I guess it must be android hockey. So Iceman whips up an ice wall and all the androids crash into the ice wall. And he's like, wow, that was really easy. But then the wall and the robots cave in and underneath the ice, it's not water. It's actually acid. These bozos make the rangers look good, he's, he quips. <laughs> the rangers. <laughs> he also thinks to himself that the heaters have kicked on and now the ice is starting to melt. And he's about to go down the proverbial drain. His academic career. Yeah, because he's thinking about how if he wasn't here, he could be at school romancing Sheila Delaney, the cute lady from the dorm next door. More likely, I'd be studying for Monday's economics quiz. Why did I have to grow up to be so darn conscientious? So this is maybe Chris Claremont trying to write in like he's no boy anymore. He's all grown up. Uh, Polaris wakes up on a uh, merry-go-round, and she's in one of the chairs in between the horses. Uh, a, a carousel, also known as, uh, is known as, and she sees Ilyana uh, Rasputin running nearby the uh, carousel. So she she shouts, "Ilyana, don't run away! I'm here to help you!" And suddenly, all of the horses on the carousel uh, attack her, and man. Looks like they pretty much take her out. Yeah, there's one uh, horse kicks her in the back. The hoof slams her to the floor of the carousel, knocking her breath from her. Following the horse's lead, all the ride all the ride animals come to life and close eagerly in for the kill. I'm gonna need a pronunciation check from somebody who knows more about Rush than than we do, because I always pronounced it Ilana. So I don't know really? where I picked that up from. If I either made that up or if I heard it somewhere, but. I'm not sure which is accurate. Why don't you type it into Translate Google? Because it's a proper noun. Well, they don't do proper nouns. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, so there you go, listeners. Write in. Is it Ilyana, Alana, or something completely different? 
if she would just appear in an X-Men movie, it would solve everything. <laughs> it totally would. Has she ever been on one of the TV shows? I don't know. It seems like she would have been on X-Men the Animated Series, but... Or what was that one called? The one in the 90s? Uh, it wasn't the X-Men Animated Series? I don't know. It probably was. I don't remember. I don't either. Anyhow, uh, so she... Lorna turns around, destroys the horse. She sees Alana, and she's like, Are you all right? I'm a friend. I guess they've never met. Oh, of course not, because... Uh, she was kidnapped from Russia by Miss Locke. Right. Yep. And then Ilana pulls out a gun and says, I know who you um duh. I know who you are, Polaris, and I have a surprise for you. Eat hot lead, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> and her face gets all demonic. Turns into a demon and just starts shooting point blank at Polaris. Blam, blam, blam. Banshee is in a facsimile of a western town. <laughs> He's in the cyborg. The he's in the cyborg shootout. Uh, luckily, he's got a gun. It's because he's a shield agent. Look at him. <laughs> well, he's not. He's a. Uh, what did they say? They say what he is here. They actually do uh, in their Interpol. Una- he's an Interpol agent. This is how Interpol dresses. If if I possessed me superpowers, uh, oh sorry, that was when he was critically injured. We're getting a reminder of that. Uh, but then we say, in my youth, before I was assigned to infiltrate Factor 3, I was Interpol's best agent. Way back in issue number blank. <laughs> Librarian Louise. You well, failed we us. Well, know that it's issue number 32. No, I think it was, wasn't it in the 50s? 40s? I don't know. I don't know, but it's a retcon. Kind of. Yeah, because I was trying, when I read that line, I was like, wait a minute. Like, we knew he wasn't a, he was a thief. He was stealing yeah, paintings he was like and robbing Scottish, Irish paintings or something. He was stealing paintings and like scotch or whiskey, one of the two. And I don't think he was doing that because he wasn't doing that because Factor Three was telling him to do it because his partner, whoever that was, I can't remember his name, was like, "Stop stealing that stuff and focus on your job." Maybe it was all part of his cover. Act well, sure, that could be. Anything's possible in the Marvel universe. I'm gonna act like a hot-headed. Uh, crazy Irishman. To infiltrate Factor 3. Oh no, now they are mind-controlling me. Damn it. <laughs> Don't you think that they would know about my plan and not let me live? <laughs> well, anyways. He shoots the guy that he's facing off with, but then the robots that are waiting at the uh, cyborg shootout corral uh, begin shooting at him, mm-hmm. and he dives, dodging their bullets, and says... These yabos can't miss me forever. What's a yabo? I, I don't know. Oh. Maybe it's like maybe it's like robo. Maybe it's the Irish equivalent of futzer. <laughs> maybe yeah. I think it's yobos. Yobos. Yeah, robot hobos. <laughs> so the yobos they shoot at the ground because and then they're missing uh, banshee. And a big explosion occurs, and that's when the floor opens up to reveal. Moira laying on, being tied to some railroad tracks by a snidely whiplash type character. What's this? Me microbomb not only trashed those mechanical hitmen, it also blew a pathway onto the, another of Mirror World's death traps. It's a roller coaster and it's being tied to the tracks. Moira! You're too late, hero. Yeah, <laughs> already a train is rushing towards your beloved Moira McTaggart. She'll never, you'll never save her. You must pay the rent. I 
can't pay the rent. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. That was close. <laughs> and meanwhile, we flip over to Havok, and he has been trying to take care of the giant space invader, but he is unable to have any effect with his uh, powers. So uh, he decides that he's going to get inside of it and take it out from the inside. Really? Is that what he does? It looks to me like he just jumped on top of it. I don't know. And the rocket explodes, and he thinks to himself, Oh, you're right. Yep. Now that'll register as a kill on the Murder World scanners, so they don't know that he's uh, free. Luckily, he happens to be directly, I don't know, how he gets from this page to the next page is beyond me, but he finds a manhole. <laughs> That's and, what, uh, yeah. It leads him directly into the middle of the electronic center of a utility tunnel of, in Murder World. I wish Banshee were here. Here's the X-Men's resident electronics whiz. I thought that was Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Yeah, no kidding. They're able to fix a jet. With his help, I could probably cripple Murder World. But I'm alone, which means I cross my fingers and improvise. And so he just starts shooting stuff. And the These con- cables are pretty big. I wonder what'll happen if I break it. System dysfunction, Miss Locke, Sector 12. I'd best investigate. Be careful, Mr. Chambers. She goes back and forth from spelling Mr. all the way out to abbreviating, abbreviating it Mr. MR dot, which is weird. We lost most of our internal defensive capability when Polaris shorted the primary systems. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Don't die. Uh, (laughs) So we cut back to Polaris, who easily destroys the robot Ilyana or Ilana. Well, but she and her bullets. Yeah, she says that uh, nice try, but when you use the metal gun against the Mistress of Magnetism, you got to think about that twice, sister. Mm -mm -mm. That robot was so lifelike, I was completely fooled. That means we can't trust anyone we meet here. Fellow X-Men or hostages. They could all be robot doubles. I better and kill the them all. They'll start spinning. Spinning like a top. It's, uh, her new costume has like a giant bat on her crotch. It's got giant bats all over the place. There's like one behind her head. There's one on her necklace. And yes, she definitely has a little bat crotch going on. Bat crotch. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like it's a centrifuge uh, and she can't hold on. But if she lets go, she'll shoot out of it like a bullet and splatter against the wall before she can use her powers. And hit the wall it does, but she uses a magnetic anti-gravity force field shield to protect her, thereby, and then somehow an inhibitor field hits her, neutralizing her powers. Why didn't they use the inhibitor field before she used her powers? That she would be dead. Well, Murder World's not really about killing people, Adam. It's more about setting up expensive, elaborate traps for superheroes to escape from and then continue the reader to wonder, how do they get their money? (laughs) That's what Murder World's all about. So she loses her powers and she falls directly into the ice rink, which Iceman notices, oh, there was a hole at the top of the ice rink in this whole town, this whole time. Jeez. I really should have tried to escape out of that. I'm not going to try to escape out of that now. Instead, I'm going to catch Lorna and think about how much I used to love her. But. And go through the wall. 
but it's cool. Havoc, she's with Havoc, and I'll always love her, but he's a lucky guy. I hope he knows that. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> it's essentially, the of my ice slide is breaking through the rink. If we're getting out of here alive, it's now or never. So essentially, Chris Claremont is ending that love triangle storyline here and now. Not that it was going anywhere, but there you go. Well, you know, he's like, it's for the fans, man. It's like some sure. people are like, whatever happened with Iceman and Polaris? Whatever happened to Jean Grey in college? Damn it, we'll never find that out. I don't know, I don't know if we're ever going to find out what happens with Iceman in college. <laughs> Good point. So his plan is, is that as he's heading towards the wall, he will super cool the wall uh, to absolute zero and uh it should be it should make the metal so brittle that the slightest impact should shatter it so why didn't he do this originally yes also hole in the ceiling <laughs> two very easy ways out and uh well anyways back at the service tunnel mr chambers is looking around he's like that was no internal disruption the junction box was blasted from the outside that's when abraham lincoln shows up and says, oh, wait, that would be Washington. Oops. <laughs> I cannot tell a lie, sir. I did it. Hey? With a handy-dandy all-purpose cosmic energy blast. Just like this. And then he blasts uh, Mr. Chambers. Part of me wants to kill you, Mr. Slowly, but I won't. I can't. Revenge is for children. I like to think I'm an adult. Who put a it's quarter... Okay for kids to kill. Who put a quarter in Havoc? He's cracking jokes. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden getting all serious. He's the new improved humor havoc. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Banshee knocks uh, Snidely Whiplash out of the way so that he can get uh, to Moira to save her. But that's when they see that coming down the tracks in the uh, roller coaster, it's Candy Southern and Amanda Sefton. And there's only time to save either Moira or the train cart full of the girls. What's he going to do? Hitting himself, Banji grabs for a microbomb. He's going to throw the microbomb at the car. I guess he's made his decision. Like, look, if I can only save one of you or whatever, I'd rather save the girl that I'm boinking. Yeah, you know, so what would you all do? Yeah, I suppose. But it's, it's all for naught because just in the nick of time, uh, ice bridge is created over Myra and Banshee that causes the, tr the roller coaster cart to fly over their heads harmlessly and somehow the girls just fall out. I think they're magnetically lifted. Yeah, a magnetic force field gently lifts its helpless passengers to safety. And so the field is over. Everybody is saved. The girls are saved. Uh, the mutants are saved. Everybody's saved. And they're looking for Havoc. we got to find him. The microbomb that uh, Banshee threw bounces harmlessly off of the uh, the ice sh uh, ramp, and luckily it was a dud. <laughs> yes, he throws it, and it does not blow up, so that, that is very fortunate for everybody involved. <laughs> Banshee, Moira, are you guys okay? Never, never been better, Iceman, and never happier to see a familiar face. But then they see those faces, and their Moira, Amanda, and Candy have evil arched eyebrows and menacing smiles. Moira, dear Lord, no, she exploded. <laughs> Moira wasn't a she-banshee, but an it. They were all robots, simulacrums of their hostages, says, uh, says Polaris. 
she magna scanned them and found that they didn't have the natural magnetic auras of living beings. That's handy. And she erected a force field just in time to protect us. Iceman Ice Man says, booby traps. Wow. <laughs> Boobies. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the uh, murder world console, Miss Locke is uh, watching. And she says, locating murder world control is one thing. Reaching it alive is something else again. And that's when Smooth Havoc is sneaks up on her and leans down on the console and says, want to bet? Havoc! Surrender or fight, Miss Locke. The choice is yours. I'll fight. Oh! And then he uses his pinky finger, or I guess his but, index finger, mm -hmm. to shoot his uh the pistol the double-barreled pistol out of her hand if you insist so it looks like the x-men have apprehended miss Locke and mr chambers and are taking them to the hovercraft and the weather has really picked up it's lightning it's raining it's all stormy out mind you it was crystal clear earlier when they showed up at murder world only two people I know are capable of whipping up an instant hurricanes, Thor and Storm. But I can't imagine Aurora creating anything this big. I doubt she could control it. So it must be Thor. Let's go find Thor. <laughs> yep. And uh, so Banshee calls it, says, let's head back to, uh, let's head back home. I, I fear this battle may be far from over. Meanwhile, upstate in the Adirondacks. Oh. <laughs> the tempest blankets the northeastern United States, and it grows in size. He's worried about the weather here. This is something that uh, there's something happening here that he had not anticipated, and that by the morning the wind will have ripped the adult trees out by their roots and scouring hills of soil and vegetation down to the bare rock. Arcade is enjoying a nice cigar. A genuine Havana. I admire your taste in cigars, Vic. Um, Dr. Doom is talking about the ecological de uh, devastation of unparalleled magnitude. Yet, as usual, your concern is solely for your own personal gratification. I pity you. Don't. Thanks for the light. And he lights, he lights his match off of Dr. Doom's chest. At this point, isn't Dr. Doom like, I'm Dr. Doom? <laughs> Zap. <laughs> I don't know. He puts up with a lot from Arcade here. It's nice to know your tin suit's good for something. Unnoticed, Storm's statue begins to glow. The soft inner light pulsing in time to lightning bolts spawned by the storm she herself had summoned. Arcade, if you wish to tell me something, please do so. Why, Vic, I do believe I've struck a nerve. Since I'm on a roll, I'll whack it again. Take a look at your liquid crystal display monitor, also known as an LCD. Hot shot. You just see what I just saw? Nightcrawler's disappeared. <gasps> <laughs> Next issue, the X-Men's Climactic Showdown with Doctor Doom and Arcade. Woo! Why is Arcade so big and Doctor Doom is so small? Well, Arcade's really the star of the issue. The X-Men's Climactic Showdown with Dr. Doom and Arcade! Let's hear it for Arcade, everybody. Everybody's favorite lame villain. Yay, Arcade! Yep, there you go, everybody. 
Boy, oh boy, we got some, uh, we got some, oh, what did you think of that one? Eh. <laughs> yeah, same way. Uh, so we got some communique. Uh, Georgie V writes us back for, by the, the Twitterverse to say that he's glad we're back and thanks for reading his mail. And yes, he is listening from Tokyo. And if you have any questions, let me know. And uh, my question is how accurate are the Japanese translations so far? Oh, well, there you go. Help us out, Georgie V. I don't even know if you speak Japanese, but if you do, <laughs> uh, yeah. We also got a letter from Austin Gorton. Uh, great job recapping the wordiest issue of X Men ever, referring to the uh, the demon issue. Just wanted to let you know that Burns' departure from the book was at least somewhat motivated by a conflict between or conflict between him and Claremont, a conflict that is fairly well documented by numerous parties involved. Basically, Byrne was getting increasingly frustrated with how Claremont would change things without discussing them with Byrne. Uh, because of the Marvel method, as we've discussed before, Claremont was able on his second pass through an issue to add dialogue to change things that Byrne had agreed on. Uh, Claremont felt this was his right, at the, as, right as the writer. Byrne thought this was besmirching his role as the co-plotter. They're both kind of right. A specific example was in Esmond 142 when future Kitty kissed present Kitty as they traded places. Claremont added that in the caption and burn capital hated it because it suggested the alternate future still existed where he was adamant that the actions of the present-day X-Men would have prevented the future from coming to pass. He was already leaving the book at that point, but it's just an example of the type of thing that drove him off. When Roger Stern was editing the book, he was pro-Burn and helped to rein Claremont in, but Louise Jones was more pro-Claremont, so when she took over, Burn figured it was time to move on. And when he did, he ended up drawing and writing stuff like Sand Fantastic Four and Alpha Fight, as we mentioned, and eventually rebooting Superman for DC post-Crisis. Hmm. Do you ever, you ever read Crisis of Infinite, Infinite Earth? Nope. I'm familiar with the storyline, but I've never... I'm, I'm not a DC guy. I've read very few DC comics. Me neither. <laughs> uh, as a side note, he writes that uh, Kurt Busiek, um, as an ex-fan came up with a loophole that would allow for the return of Jean Grey and mentioned it at a comics convention to John Byrne. And when Marvel decided to uh, go ahead and bring Jean Grey back, Byrne remembered Busiek's idea and proposed it. Byrne ended up writing that issue in Fantastic Four and used Busiek's idea to do so. And that issue has a note crediting Busiek for the idea. Nice. That's, that's kind of cool. I've never actually read that issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, we got uh, some. We got another message on the Facebooks from David Steele. He uh, he's surprised that we never heard of a little thing that Kurt Busiek did about twenty years ago called Marvels. Uh, did you ever read that? Uh, no. We didn't have art by Alex Ross. It absolutely has, and he even comments that it uh, introduced Alex Ross to a wider audience. So my only familiarity with the Marvels, I've never read it, but I used to go to uh, Barnes & Nobles like on a weekly basis, religiously going over to the uh, graphic novel section, and Marvels was always prominently featured there, but I think it was always Volume 2, and I could never find Volume 1. So 
I was like, wow, that looks really like, because it had Alex Ross uh, painted covers, if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, wow, this looks amazing. And then <laughs> that's that's all that ever became of it. Uh, he also says, Astro City is well worth the read. Uh, the first two collected editions contain literally some of the best comics I've heard. So that that's a pretty resounding uh, review right there. I have always intended to, and one day I will. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I need to read or will read or should read or whatever. Uh, let's see. Keep doing uh, the good work, and please do continue covering Dazzler uh, and do the thing where she sings every line of dialogue. Adam, do you remember her singing lines of dialogue and, and what tune she was singing everything to? Uh, I think it changed every time she had a different line of dialogue. I think I was just singing random crap. <laughs> okay, so... We may have dropped that for a little bit, but I, I like that idea. So we, I may try to uh, incorporate that back into the, the Dazzler segment because it is a pretty good idea. Um, okay, Jeremy, you go ahead and do that. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing Dazzler it's yet. It's a good thing you're taking over. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and then James Howlett, Wolverine himself, he sends us also a Facebook communication uh, let's see. He says that he's been a fan for almost a month. He's up to episode 76. He listens to several episodes or podcasts rather to pass his boring days at the office, which really seems to be where podcasts fit into, uh, life. You know what I mean? I don't know about your job currently, Adam, but whenever I'm like kind of in like the boring repetitive, like got to do this, but I got to do it for like an hour. It's like podcast time. And then you just yeah, kind of whip through that. I agree. But whenever I have to, like, think uh, and, and, like, whatever, like, use my brain for the job, I'm unable to listen to podcasts because I, I have a single-track mind. What's that? Then it's Spotify time. I can't do that either. I can't. Uh, if I could have, uh, like, headphones, or not headphones, but, like, speakers at, at a decent distance away playing music, then I would be all good. But if I put them in my ears... Oh, that's all I can focus on. Oh, so that's I'm sorry. Yeah, so I don't listen to as much music as I would like to because I just cannot concentrate on my work if I'm listening to music directly in my ears. Anyways, he goes on to say that he's been a hardcore X fan since he learned how to read. He hated the kids' books like Doctor Seuss, and so his parents bought him comic books to get him into uh, reading. And he had a great affinity towards the X Men. Uh, he hopes that we stay strong. Uh, we have a perfect duality of co-hosts presenting a podcast, uh, and he'd like to hear our commentary on The Secret Wars, the Wolverine miniseries, and other important X moments that tie into major X events. Uh, he says, though, when we get to the Extinction Agenda and other events that take place across multiple titles, to try to do one-and-done podcasts the way we handle the gap between 66 and Giant Size. Those were his favorite podcasts, especially the voice of the Secret Society. And I'll let you in on a little secret, James Howlett. Those three episodes are my absolute favorites as well. I don't know if it's because we cover so much material or because they're so inconsistently written that we had so much fun going through them. I'm not sure what it is, but... Um, is his real name James Howlett? I, I doubt it. It's his <laughs> Facebook name. Wow, cool. And uh, there you go. He 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 would also uh, he also wants us to cuss Hugh Jackman style, but I don't really know what that means. Uh, uh, from from first class. Well, yeah, he do, he does have he does drop the f bomb, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh man, I don't know, James Howlett. We we tried to run a family friendly show. Only every now and again do we drop a PG thirteen word. 
Uh, so let's we'll change it to uh, something like uh, screw off. <laughs> what? S- S- just pretend that's what he said. Scroff. Screw off. Okay. Uh, yeah, and we also got some. Uh, we got some, man, it's a huge mailbag this this week. Uh, we also got uh, a review, a couple of reviews on uh, iTunes. We love this podcast. Just found the podcast a week ago, up to episode twenty five. That's from uh, Vandergrift. It's very entertaining and fun to listen to. Keep up the good work. We will if you can t- keep listening. And we also got uh, a review from Rape My Faith, which is a very strong demand. If you if you ask me. <laughs> That sounds uh, like a like eighties goth band. <laughs> oh, I will rape my faith, and this is or our like song. An, an industrial band. This is our song. I cut myself while I pray. That sounds like uh, something you used to listen to. Oh, like some ministry. It's like Front Two Forty Two or Skinny Puppy. Yeah, more more industrial, like Einstrotten Dewey Button. No, that's all like that's all dancey stuff. I mean, it's the roots well, of industrial. Skinny Puppy was, but. No, 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 no. Skinny Puppy was like really, really in the in the weeds, like uh, dark industrial. Einsteiner, Neubauten, and Kraftwerk were like the fluffy innovators of. Einsteiner and Neubauten were definitely not danceable. Well, Kraftwerk. They were practically like. It was practically like being in a construction like area i'm not saying i'm trying i'm mixing up my words but they weren't very dark they were just loud and noisy just like old craft work you don't dance to old craft work i'll bet you can (laughs) but old craft work uh isn't really about dark topics it's all about pocket calculators and driving fast (laughs) you can totally dance to old craft work i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) anyways i agreed to disagree with this review of 80s synthesizer music okay uh, he says that he's up to episode 53 and he can't wait to catch up. He wrote a previous comment not too long ago, but uh, he dropped the F-bomb a couple of times. So if you want me to rate again, please drop the F-bomb in an episode, Hugh Jackman. Oh, this must be uh, James Howlett's uh, 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 review here. He says drop the F-bomb in an episode, Hugh Jackman style, in first class, and he f- finishes up with a zit. Well. Let me tell you this, James Howlett. I'm not going to do it now. Neither's Adam. But maybe someday, someday soon, we'll slip it in. So you have to keep listening. Screw off, Futzer. <laughs> he doesn't say that, Adam. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been awesome if that's what he said. <laughs> Screw off, you Futzers. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at www.xmenpodcast.com. All of the episodes are there. You can click on them. You can link to them. You can put a comment on that page if you want. Uh, or you can also go out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. That, of course, is our Facebook page where you can send us a message, post uh, on the page itself, uh, and also get links to the episodes. You can also follow us at Danger Room Go on the Twitters. Or you can go out to iTunes, uh, go to the iTunes store, go into the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We'll come right up, leave us a five-star review, maybe leave us even a customer review. Uh, all sorts of good stuff there. You can also email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Or you can call us, 501-GET-X-MEN. 
and you can hear your voice on our podcast. Whoa. It'll almost be like it's your podcast for that brief moment that you hear your voice. In fact, you could pretend it's your podcast featuring us. <laughs> there you go. The podcast. There you go. You could advertise it that way. Check out my podcast. I hired these futzers. Guys to talk to <laughs> most of it, but... But then, it's really mine. But then there's me. <laughs> so there you go. All sorts of good good ways to, to get a hold of us. And that brings us to Dazzler number four. Whoa. It's a force for good and a force for evil. And on the cover, it's, I don't know, good Dazzler fighting evil Dazzler in the palms of Dr. Doom, who continues to be super busy, I guess. In the Adirondack Mountains still? I, no, no, I don't know where they are, to be quite honest. Uh, but you'll remember that uh, they went to the UN and Dr. Doom stole the Merlin Stone. And then he kidnapped Dazzler and they were flying around on like a skiff or whatever it is. It's kind of like the professor's little wheelie flying wheelchair. Remember that thing? Yeah, that thing was cool. No kidding. <laughs> it's kind of like that, except Dr. Doom can stand on it because he actually has the use of his legs. Because he's Dr. Doom. Tesla's just narrating what's going on. I see some Doom bots. They're putting me in a tube. This isn't cool. Anyways, so she's stuck in a tube and she's plotting uh, that she's going to like escape. But Dr. Doom is like, oh, I can tell by your the way you're looking at me that you want to escape. But you shouldn't do that because I'm Dr. Doom. And... So what he does is he zaps the tube that Dazzler is in, sending her somewhere mysterious. But then we go back to the UN where uh, the Cogswell guy is, and he's like, where's my performer? She's been kidnapped. So he's kind of dialed it back. Because last issue, he's like, she'll never work in this business again. And now he's like, oh, okay, that's my singer. I need her back. And his, uh, her bodyguard guy is there. And it's like, she just came in here that Somebody must have kidnapped her. And that's when uh, the human torch flies in and he's like, oh my God, where's Dazzler? I better go find her. So he takes off to go find her. And we flip over to uh, Gardenvale or Gardendale, Long Island, where Grandma uh, Blair and Father Blair, whatever his name was, are kind of worried about Dazzler. And I guess they've heard the news that she's been captured. And in the study in a darkened room, Judge uh carter blair is sitting there and he like he just doesn't even care and he's worried he's scared because the fact that he's not crying about his missing child that's the thing that troubles him the most so maybe he does have some feelings for his daughter he needs to start singing <laughs> i'm judge carter and i'm giving up the law for you dazzler no i'm not just kidding I'm not gonna worry about you anyways so she's uh, in this crazy, crazy world where there's, like, splotchy things and, like, pink entrails. But it's not really entrails. It's just the best word I could come up with it. And she eventually figures out that she is uh, in Nightmare's Realm. So, uh, Nightmare's Realm! Apparently, in order to, I don't know, get more of the Merlin Stone, she's got to face Nightmare to release it or something. But anyways, while she's there, she turns her radio on because she wants to charge her Dazzler power. But then the radio's only got static, and she's like, duh, <laughs> I'm not on Earth. How am I going to pick up a radio station? It doesn't make any sense. But this is when she discovers that 
The universe is literally bursting with noise! So she is able to absorb the universe's noise, and she's able to charge her powers up, but when she generated all that power, I don't know why she does it, to be honest, uh, she is exhausted, and then she comments to herself, The X-Men would have trained me to use my mutant abilities! If only I'd have joined him when I had a chance. And so she falls asleep. Dang. <laughs> but then she wakes up and she has a nightmare about Judge Carter Blair, who's like, I'm so disappointed in you. You're a traitor. Which is a little out of left field, you know. She didn't like sell secrets about her country or anything, you know. <laughs> Anyways. Maybe she did. <laughs> She's like, uh, I'm a big girl, so let's go for it. And she blasts away at Carter's image because she knows that it's not really him. And now she's like, mm, nobody brings my family into this. I'm mad. So she's zooming around on her roller skates and basically like this weird dimension thing. Anyways, a uh, human torch is flying around. He goes uh, to the fan to the Baxter building to find the Fantastic Four. Basically, it's a needless cameo where he shows up. He's like, has anybody seen Dazzler? And they're all like, no. He's like, okay, I gotta go find Dazzler. And he takes off. And they also mentioned something about Doctor Doom being there. But anyways, back in the other realm, an evil version of Dazzler shows up. And now they've got a fight. Good versus evil. Evil versus good. Who will win the day? And they kind of banter about each other back and forth to each other and of course light demolishes dark and good dazzler beats bad dazzler and that's when she meets finally uh the nightmare guy who shows up on a horse he's like i am nightmare i am the guy who makes bad dreams and so they fight and they fight and uh nightmare's like look i'm kind of a god you can't do anything to me but Dazzler, uh, she is not uh, scared. So since she has removed the fear out of her, Nightmare's got like no power over her. So she is able to defeat Nightmare and he goes running off. And so she's able to get the other Nightmare, or I'm sorry, the Merlin Stone. And she pops back from Nightmare's realm, back through her tube and into Dr. Doom's lair, wherever that may be. And Dr. Doom's like, I've got both of the Merlin stone. I've got both of the Merlin stones. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Dazzler's weak and she doesn't know what she's going to do next. But from her purse, remember she turned the radio on in the other realm and it was just picking up static. Well, now it's just picking up music and she's able to charge up her powers and she's able to do some crazy ricochet shot that takes out a couple of Doom bots, bounces off the ceiling and hits the Merlin stone, causing it to explode. And Dr. Doom is like, do you know what you have done? And uh, she's like, I don't care. I don't want you to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> so then he's like, I should have eliminated you sooner. Uh, but then she does like a super duper dazzle blast, which knocks Dr. Doom back. She did one last issue, but it didn't affect him. But for some reason, this issue, it does. And he fires back at the ceiling, which causes it to collapse on her head. And so she's, uh, Dr. Doom is about to go in for the final, uh, finishing blow, but he catches on the Vizzy screen. He sees a human torch showing up and he's like, I don't want to fight the Fantastic Four right now. So I would leave. So he leaves and he leaves Dazzler alive. Johnny Storm shows up, sees Dazzler, picks her up and he's like, 
Oh, Dazzler. Dazzler. So apparently he's very sad, and he may be a little bit smitten by her. But she, however, is beyond noticing because she's passed out. And Whoa. She's passed out. I'm sleeping. <laughs> I'm having some really good dreams. Not about you, Human Torch. Or Nightmare. There you go. You do any reading this week? I read Avengers 208, which took place directly after Avengers 207, uh, which features the Avengers battling the Berserker, who is an immortal warrior from ancient times. Uh, We learned his origin, which I'm not really going to recap because it's kind of irrelevant, but he's like this guy who just kills things and... He eventually ends up killing, like, aliens and going to other planets and killing things and coming back to Earth and killing things. He's just, like, been killing things for years. Uh, so he has been unleashed, and the Avengers go to fight them, him. Uh, and they are fairly easily beaten back, as he is mortal and quite powerful. But Wonder Man realizes that the jewelry, jewelry that was given to his PR agent in the last issue by the Shadow Lord, that is the guy that the Avengers killed in the last issue, can send the Berserker to the Shadow Realm, and he, he, the Avengers win by doing that. Yay, Avengers! Beast didn't really have much. He does say, uh, oh my stars and garter snakes. <laughs> which is pretty lame. <laughs> uh, I read Marvel 2 and 1 number 76, which features the Thing and Giant Man and Ice Man battling the Ringmaster Circus of Crime. And uh, that's pretty much going to be my description for that issue. <laughs> the only uh, exciting thing here is that I, we get to see Ice Man in college, and he is dating a girl named Terry Sue Bottoms. Have we met Terry Sue Bottoms before? It sounds really familiar. I don't recall that name, but I thought in X-Men it was Sherry something or other. Hmm, interesting. He's a playa. Well, yeah, in the most recent issue of X-Men, it was a different person. Hmm, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know when this takes place in relation to that, but we get to see him in his dorm studying. Okay. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Thing and Iceman and Giant Man beat the Ringmaster Circus of Crime. Thank God. Thanks to Alicia Masters' inability to see his hypnotic ringmaster uh, hat. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) uh, Spider-Woman number 38, uh, where we left off there, which was two episodes ago, because I guess this is bi-monthly. She was captured, uh, and Black Tom and the Juggernaut and Siren got away, but she manages to escape and heads back to the party that she left. And just as she's arriving at the party, so are Aurora and Warren Worthington and uh, Peter Rasputin. And they say, uh, we need to talk to you, Spider-Woman. And she's like, oh, how'd you know I was Spider-Woman? And they're like, we've been studying you. You're a mutant. And uh, tell us what happened. Have you ever heard of the X-Men? And she says, well, I have, but that's crazy. Uh, here's here's the deal. The thieves were Black Tom Cassidy and the Juggernaut and a girl named Siren. Are those names familiar? And they say, well, Siren isn't, but Black Tom and Juggernaut are certainly old foes of the X-Men. And so they all go searching for Black Tom and... Uh, 
How do they find her? Hmm. Well, somehow... The, oh, I see. I recalibrated our mini Cerebro computer to detect Tom and Juggy's energy patterns, says Angel. It says they're in the ship below. So they go, and Tom is collecting all his vibranium, and he's excited about getting, selling it back to the U.S. government. And uh, Storm picks up Colossus really high up and then drops him so he goes straight through the ship. The ship starts sinking, and uh, they try to rescue the vibranium. Uh, Juggernaut tries to get up up, up, up to the, uh, the top of the the top of the ship and siren starts panicking and uh storm shows up with a lightning bolt spider woman beats siren but ends up siren uh gets all scared and flees using her siren powers and spider woman's on her back and uh and then siren tries to kill spider woman by dropping her a hundred feet in the air but and well she's paralyzed by siren's scream but Angel captures her, luckily saving her life. This whole issue, uh, this is written by Chris Claremont and narrated by Spider-Woman, by the way. Apparently Siren also has the power to uh, make people, like, create sonic holograms, three-dimensional illusions, and uh, Angel sees a giant pterosaur. And And I guess... I guess she also has the power of mind control because now Angel is evil. Hmm. So she he drops uh, Spider-Woman once again. But this time Spider-Woman isn't paralyzed, so she's able to fly at the last second, which is something she can do. Yes. Uh, Colossus is fighting Juggernaut <clears throat> under the, uh, on the underside of the boat, and Black Tom realizes that Storm is slowly freezing all of the uh, ship bit by bit, and uh, some fighting goes on. Colossus tricks Juggernaut into uh, dropping into the water, and he sinks like a stone. Angel tries to punch Storm for a while. There's a lot of fighting in this issue. (laughs) Sounds like it. And uh, let's see. Storm blows... Uh, Angel and Black Tom back with a hurricane gust, knocking them both out. Uh, uh, Black Tom wakes up and tries to defeat Colossus by blasting him with his stick. <laughs> Doesn't work. Uh, Siren uses her sonar to try to defeat Spider-Woman and thinks that she kills her and then feels really bad about it. But it turns out that Spider-Woman actually took off all her clothes and Siren was just attacking her outfit. And then Spider-Woman attacks her from the nude. Ooh, that's hot. (laughs) And uh, then she puts on her her costume back on and it's all torn up and stuff. Um, Juggernaut manages to get back out of the ocean, climbs up to the top of the ship, and... uh, Let's see, how do they defeat... Oh, uh, Juggernaut grabs Colossus and is about to crush him, but Colossus uh, demetallicizes and is able to wriggle loose of the Juggernaut's grasp, which gives Angel, who uh, is now not under the control of Siren anymore, uh, the ability to sneak 
Colossus away, and that's when Storm shoots a lightning blast at uh, Juggernaut, and Spider-Woman uses her power stinger on the other side of him, and they they basically use him like a uh, a electricity rod, and with a giant zapped, the Juggernaut screams with rage, and he does not fall, but there's an explosion, and the X-Men have to escape, but they don't know what happened to Juggernaut, but they've captured Black Tom, and Black Tom feels kind of bad at the last second and says, you know, well, Spider-Man accuses Black Tom of teaching his uh, his aunt, or no, what, her his uh, niece. niece to be a bad guy, and he's like, I last, perhaps you're right. Officers, the child... And Spider-Woman here had nothing to do with the mint robbery. I and me missing associate Juggernaut are solely responsible. Storm, I leave me niece in your hands. Take good care of her. Oh. And so the X-Men take uh, Siren back to the X-Mansion and separate with Spider-Woman. And a couple weeks later, um, Juggernaut rescues Black Tom from prison. And uh, Spider-Woman receives a letter from Aurora that Siren is well and about to be reunited with her long-lost father. See X-Men 148 for details. Spoilers. Wow. She's now got an open invitation to visit the X-Men. And after she's settled and her business is off and running, perhaps she shall. And uh, she, her business of choice is she's starting up Jessica Drew Private Investigations. That's right. And and that's where it ends with the beginning. So is that like the end of the Spider-Woman comic? There is no uh well there are no ads in this one, so I don't know. It, it this could be the last issue. Oh, okay. I have no idea. There was no letter page and no ads, so. Huh. Dunno. All right. Anything but else? I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> it sounds like it. But uh, all right. But uh, yeah, that's 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 it. That, that was it was a that was an action-packed issue. No kidding. Holy mackerel! You could almost say that a new mutant has been born. You could. <laughs> I can't wait to read X Men One Forty Eight to see what exactly happens. Same here. And to hear about what happened in Spider Woman Thirty Eight. All right then. Anything else? No. Well. Nothing at all. All right, then. Until next time, the danger room is closed. (laughs) 